What is the digital economy? What does digital mean? Strategic How far can the digital economy go? Welcome back to the Digital Week. Uh, my name is Marek Walkwitz, uh, Professor and Chair in Digital Economy at uh, QUT here in Brisbane, Australia. We're back with our next episode uh, in our series of uh, future trends, trends that shape the way we live, work and think in 2019. In our previous episode, we focused on trends that shape the way we work. We talked uh, about conversational commerce, human-machine collaboration and also self-automation. You know, this guy who got fired uh, after working for, I think, four years and doing really nothing. Uh, pretty exciting. This time, we're focusing on trends shaping the way we live. Once again, I'm here with Dr. Paula Dutson. Hi, Paula. Hi, Marek. Thanks for having me. Sure. It's great to see you here. Uh, so, Paula, today we're talking about trends uh, that shape the way we live in 2019. Economy of algorithms platforms opening up and responsible tech at scale. Let's start with economy of algorithms. Eric, how many robots have you got at home? I, I lost count. I have plenty of them. In fact, uh, so many that I had to introduce a hierarchy of robots. So I have robo managers. When I leave home for work, that's what I did today in the morning. I say, Alexa, tell Roomba to start cleaning. And then Alexa actually issues the order to, to Roomba, which is in the corner of the room. I don't think I have a single robot in my house. Would oh, I have one and not know about it? I'm pretty sure you have quite a few. Well, so the, the point is, uh, it's even the fact of how we define robots is, is sort of contested, right? Is, is a coffee machine a robot or not? You know, it takes inputs, it processes data, it then, you know, produces outputs as in, you know, makes or creates things. Uh, but the interesting part is that we're starting to, to get those robots that um, make purchases on our behalf. In the US, you can buy a dishwasher or a washing machine that buys the detergent the moment it runs low on it. I'm really looking forward to when Australian retailers are able to connect with my fridge so that I didn't have a situation I had this morning where we'd run out of yogurt for breakfast and instead I have to make some smorgasbord of toast with a random egg and maybe some mango, which didn't really taste great. I think <laughs> I'd love a breakfast like this one, if you ask me. Uh, but hey, your fridge would actually typically know uh, when you're going to run out of, uh, of yogurt uh, simply based on your patterns of, you know, how much you eat, how much you order and so on. So it's technically possible and, and, and I believe it's coming very, very soon. It, speaking about those dishwashers and washing machines, we live in a world where, for the first time in history, we're getting devices basically swiping credit cards on our behalf. They make business decisions on our behalf. That's pretty exciting, and I wonder if when it comes to especially your fridges, but I guess also other appliances, is this going to help our waste problem because it's going to make sure that we're not over-purchasing or perhaps even making those convenience purchases or spontaneous purchases? Yeah, I think, I think there's a balance there, right? So, so on one hand, you could look at this home automation in the same way you look at uh, business efficiency and introducing uh, automation uh, uh, within organizations and often this is meant to to optimize those but we also have to remember that those fridges will be offered by organizations that might actually want to sell you more right so hey is your fridge going to make you eat more 
Yeah, sure. So then if, let's say, all of my household is now connected to my credit card and making more efficient decisions for me in my life, well, then what's next? What does that unlock? I think uh, w w if we follow that, that logic of what is, uh, what is happening or if we follow the trend of what is happening, we can start talking about smart homes that realize that they're producing excess of electricity using solar panels, for instance, and they can start offering this electricity to, I don't know, electric cars parked outside. So we're entering this, you know, era where we stop talking about just IoT, Internet of Things. We're talking about EOA, economy of algorithms. That could be economy of things. That could be things that are smart and they, uh, they offer their services. But, you know, algorithms do not have to be embedded in physical devices. That's, that's why we call them uh, like this. Sure. So then does that open up any new business models? I, yes, yes, I'm working on this, this concept uh, called B2A to C. Hang on, hang on. B to A to C. Yes. What is that? Yes, so, you know, B2C, you know, B2B, C2C, all those uh, uh, business models uh, where you have either a business offering uh, products or services to customers or C2C, customers to customers or consumers to consumers. B2A to C uh, is business to algorithm to consumer. So the way it works is there is this uh, entity in between me as a consumer and an organization that offers me products uh, or services. And that could be embedded in a device, that could be a smart fridge, or that could be a, a software algorithm that's, that's simply you know, using any device that, uh, that, that it's installed on. Now, uh, take the example of the fridge. The fridge does not have to be owned by the business uh, that is offering products or services, right? So that's, that's just in the middle, providing that uh, it's basically a man in the middle. Uh, it could be owned by me, or it could be owned and offered by the business that wants to sell me something. So we actually need to have this, this distinction of those three parties in the, in the exchange, B to A to C. Okay, so if I have the, the washing machine and it's connected to my credit card and it's, it's ordering the washing powder that it's chosen is the best, does that mean that it's going to come to a point where my car, say I've got a BMW, is that going to then only be able to purchase BMW engines or BMW parts? Like, as if my car is ever going to order a VW if it's a BMW. Uh, correct. So, so. So, what's that phenomenon called? So, so with the dishwashers and washing machines that you know that, that we talked about, the case at the moment is that they will go to a specific vendor and they will buy a specific uh, uh, product. Uh, that approach is called a walled garden. So you basically you're entering this walled garden where you know if you buy this this washing machine, it will only uh, go for products from this or that organization. We know it very well from the digital world where you know you buy uh, a, a mobile phone by a particular vendor and you'll typically be locked into using their services. Uh, uh, but it's a, it's actually a good segue to to the second trend that we want to talk about today, uh, which is um, uh, platforms opening up, and it's all about us realizing that there's a lot of organizations that are trying to lock us in, uh, and we're becoming growingly um, uncomfortable with this. Okay, hang on. So before we move into looking at how platforms are opening up, what is a closed platform? Let's listen to this recording of an interaction between Professor Scott Galloway of NYU and Amazon Echo. Alexa, buy batteries. Amazon's choice for batteries is Amazon Basics, AA batteries, 48 pack. It's $13.60 total, including tax. Would you like to buy it? 
No. I also found 20 pack of Amazon Basics Triple of Performance Alkaline Batteries. It's $7.61 total including tax. Would you like to buy it? No. That's all I can find for batteries right now. All right. Check your Alexa app for more options. So there's nothing that unusual about a retailer taking advantage of their custody of the consumer to trade them off to a private label brand, which is what Amazon is doing here. Because when you go on the site, in fact, you do find that Alexa has more options. There are several branded batteries. It's just Alexa, without having to bother with the consumer seeing a brand or packaging, has decided to omit or let other branches disappear from your selection set. Also, the pricing is different on Alexa and through voice commands than it is on the main platform. It seems as if they're taking advantage of this lack of transparency to charge more. We'll see. I feel insignificant sitting in front of this. Okay, so what we heard here is uh, Alexa effectively offering products that are limited to the home brand that Amazon has. And not only this, it's also just like uh, uh, Scott Galloway said, it's using its advantage of having this monopoly of interactions uh, with you to offer you higher prices for those products. So if I was also selling batteries on Amazon, how are my customers gonna be able to see what I'm selling? They will not. They will not hear Alexa mention your products because you will not make it to the top three products that, that, that Alexa will, will mention. Not unless something changes. So that's interesting. So Sonos has taken a slightly different approach, haven't they? So Sonos, uh, uh, the, the, the vendor of, of smart home speakers, uh, good quality uh, speakers, uh, they create speakers that allow uh, any smart voice assistant to be installed on them. Right now, today, when you buy a Sonos speaker, it comes with uh, Amazon's Alexa. Uh, but Sonos have already announced that uh, they're opening up and soon you will be able to use your Siri or a Google Assistant or Cortana or whatever else on the very same speaker, which is really changing the dynamics in the market uh, because we've used to live in this, uh, this world where every vendor would bring their own speaker and say, this is my speaker, this is my assistant on the speaker, you cannot change it. Suddenly there's this big player, a very important player in the market who's saying, no, 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 let's do it differently. Uh, this is a speaker, we want that speaker to be open, let's, let's change the way we think about those devices. So that sounds a little bit more promising in terms of competition because right now if my batteries aren't being seen by Alexa that's not great but in the Sonos scenario it's saying that maybe we can open it up so I don't just be I'm not just locked into buying the Amazon product or the Google product I can now buy Sonos and open it up to anybody so now they're competing in my space that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Uh, and, and, and for me, um, the, the Sonos example is, you know, just one of many that we will see in this world of platforms, right? So here we talk about uh, the market of, of smart assistant platforms, but in the same way, uh, we will start seeing other platforms, whether it's education platforms, whether it's retail platforms, opening up. Now, how is it going to happen? In the case of Sonos, this was uh, mar uh, market pressure. Right, so, so other platforms will need to open up to, uh, to basically be competitive. So you're saying there's sort of a job here to make policymakers aware of all the different challenges and implications this can have for competition if you're working in that, what was it, the walled garden and looking at breaking down those walls. But then there's also an opportunity here 
to think about, well, what is your strategy if something like Sonos opens up, something in your ecosystem, a platform opens up, how are you planning to capitalize on that? Correct. So in, in sectors where there is no such player as Sonos that uh, through really market uh, uh, forces uh, changes the way other players uh, think about their platforms, there might be a need for legislators to step in. And we know already now that European Commission is opening a probe uh, to, to, to understand Amazon's practices when it comes to actually you know, playing within that closed garden. They, they seem to be uh, using the data that is available from vendors that sell products on the Amazon platform. They seem to be using it a bit more than there would be expected to be. Um, so, so without uh, you know going too far with this comment, what seems to be happening is, is Amazon uh, seems to be using data that, that is generated by vendors on the Amazon platform to compete with those vendors. And that doesn't sound right to, to some of the legislators, and it's actually really good that, that, that someone's looking into it carefully. So to your point, um, legislators need to understand where those challenges might be, and, uh, and, and they need to hear from others. And yes, uh, the moment platforms start opening up, the questions that you know, small and medium businesses should start asking is, how do we enter those platforms? How do I enter you know, a Sonos platform with my own services? Right? Could I use different uh, smart assistants to, uh, to, offer, uh, to offer my products or services through those platforms? So that kind of takes us to the responsible tech at scale, because we're talking about the need for some responsibility here. So what does responsible tech at scale mean? What's happened this year that made you think about it being a trend for next year? Remember how about 12 months ago we had this podcast where we talked about the fact that 2018 would be the year of responsible tech? Then what happened? Cambridge Analytica and you know, all the other examples. Zuckerberg uh, apologized probably 15 times this year, uh, around the same number of uh, times he said that they're going to do better. Uh, but what it really means is that um, uh, and, and by the way, Facebook will get away with it, right? They have good lawyers, they, uh, they can afford uh, having this type of conversation. Uh, but what it really means is uh, for all the small and medium organizations, also large organizations, but they are not as large as you know, those digital giants, uh, there will be more scrutiny on what they do because we as uh, their customers, their users, are becoming more and more educated on what problems in this space could be. And it's not just tech players as well at all different sizes. It's, it's sort of all business, small, medium, and large, because they really need to think about, well, what, what processes do they have in place? What technology have they got in place? And what's happening with their customer data? I mean, privacy was a big, one of the big issues that came up with uh, the Facebook um, and Cambridge Analytica fiasco. But I guess the challenge here is, yeah, Facebook's very well resourced, so they can fund that, but what about these small businesses? I mean, small business is the backbone of the Australian economy, let alone around the world. So how do they stand up to make sure that they know what they're doing is responsible? And we often say that, uh, that a lot of organizations don't really know what they don't know. So that's, that's a challenge there. Uh, because a, a lot of the organizations that we talk about, uh, they buy products and services from, from other large vendors. So sometimes they just use a piece of technology and they might not even be aware of how this particular technology is processing data. Are there any you know, potential issues with how it is processing? Are there any risks of that data being used uh, improperly and so on? It almost seems there's a role here for your your business groups or your you know committees or business commerce. I know there's an example here with Queensland Law Society that they're looking at 
upskilling law firms around what it means to engage in cybersecurity practices because they have quite a lot of confidential information. So they want to look at, well, how do they lock that down in order to be secure and keep their customer information private? But also, how do they prevent them from being hacked and other information being misused or being used misused by other companies, which is what Cambridge Analytica did uh, with Facebook content. Absolutely, and, uh, and because we live in a world where all those organizations are interconnected, often uh, you know, a breach in one place means uh, a very um, um, uh, negative outcome for another organization. I saw you had a couple of examples with, uh, with uh, Sony, for instance, didn't you? Yeah, so I think it's really interesting to see what's going to happen in 2019 around the role of big business in helping small business. Not small business that's random, but a small business that's part of their supply chain. So the Sony hack um, happened where one of their subcontractors was actually hacked and content was removed. And so what was Sony's role in that? Should they have done more to invest in that subcontractor's security or gotten insurance? What does that look like? Because there's going to be no rush by small businesses to go out and invest money in secure technology or reviewing their practices. They don't have time to do that or resourcing. So what can big business do for small business? So, so a huge um, impact on how you're perceived, whether you're a responsible or irresponsible organization, uh, is made by uh, how your uh, supply chain uh, also behaves, right? So, so, so a huge role for large organizations to, uh, to educate the small ones. Uh, but sometimes I think it, it could also be going the other way around, right? So there could be a small organization in the supply chain that's basically smarter, uh, more digitally intelligent than the large one. And, and I would argue that the case with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica was, was in fact uh, that, 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 uh, that the large organization didn't consider how their data could be misused. Uh, and they only put um, almost like a gentleman's agreement uh, in place or, you know, or, or a legal document, which was simply ignored by, uh, by Cambridge Analytica. So it, it goes both, both ways. So is the lesson here that businesses need to be careful and really look at what processes they have, find ways to signal to customers how they're being responsible with data and with what they're doing to get their business done. That's right. We, we had a podcast uh, um, a few months ago with Nick Suzor uh, where we talked about a service called uh, TOSDR, Terms of Service Did Not Read. Uh, and it's basically uh, a service which uh, analyzes all sorts of digital services and produces the equivalent of... Um, uh, the, the water efficiency stickers that we have on our uh, washing machine. So it basically says four stars for data protection or five stars for something else. Uh, it's an easy way for a lot of small organizations to, to get a good understanding of uh, what they're getting into when they use particular services. So they can go and get certified, I guess. Effectively, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But isn't there also a component at Responsible Tech at Scale looking at this idea of bias? I mean, we've spoken about the economy of algorithms. Mm. You know, we are very well aware about the role of bias that exists in algorithms today. So what's 2019 going to look like for that issue? We'll continue trying to understand where that bias could be emerging um, because it is all about emerging bias, that bias that is emerging from the data that is, uh, that is used uh, to create our systems. I'm thinking about uh, machine learning approaches where, where the systems self-improve based on the data. We'll continue um, scrutinizing it 
uh, and the uh, organizations such as Algorithmic Justice League uh, uh, will be very helpful, especially for those small and medium organizations to understand what the challenges there might be. So is a job of the future there to either in-house have some kind of algorithm pre-tester or maybe you can offer as a service, designing out bias as a service? What, are, of, what yeah. other jobs of the future exist for these trends of... I like, the, I like the concept of a professional pessimist, right? What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong in an organization? I think there's, there's, there's a need for it. I'd be excellent at that job. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, speaking about jobs of the future, right? Glad that you uh, brought that. Remember, we talked about economy of algorithms at the beginning of the podcast. Um, uh, I have a job that I call algorithm whisperer. Someone that will come to your place and say, I'll make those algorithms talk to each other and I'll, I'll make them make money for you. Right, or whatever the, the, the goal is going to be. Well, there's animal whispers, so I guess that's not too far of a leap, right? Mm. But what about just a more general advocacy role? I mean, if you're trying to make sure that your organizations are behaving responsibly, but also looking at advocacy around operating these closed ecosystems before platforms open up, or understanding, making sure that your algorithms are working appropriately for you in a way that's fair to you as a customer? It is all around increasing that digital intelligence that uh, I think uh, goes across all of the three trends that, uh, that we talked about today. So the trends that are going to shape the way we live in 2019, economy of algorithms, platforms opening up, and responsible tech at scale. Paula, thanks for joining me in this conversation. Thanks for having me, Merit. Always enjoying it. That's it for this week on the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chair Digiconomy and visit our website at sharedigitaleconomy.com.au. See you next time.